skies Your mighty works displayed for all to see Beauty of your majesty Makes my heart to see Marvelous how Ready 
the light. 
come today with humble, thankful hearts, just praising you for who you are and all that you do for us. And um, Lord, we just thank you for allowing us to live in a country where we can come and praise and worship you um, without persecution. And uh, at this time, we want to come to you with our tithes, because everything that we have, Lord, we know it's yours, and we're just giving back to you. In your name we pray. And all God's children said, Amen. Father, I come to you this morning as a feeble musician. Wanting to praise your name. Like a little child helping his mother to clean the house. It's imperfect. It's messed up. But you love me through it. And you love us through it as we praise your name together. We continue worshiping. Sing with me, please. As morning dawns and evening fades, you inspire songs of praise that rise from earth to touch your heart and glorify your name your name is a strong and mighty time your name is a shelf like Jesus, in your name we 
retreat coming up next month and we saw a video about it last week and we want to see another one this morning giving you a little more information and uh, just encouraging you men to consider participating. I'm Mike Chancy, uh, Director of Men's Ministry here at First Baptist Church. Uh, this year's 2011 men's retreat is going to be at LJ, Georgia. You know, why should you come? I mean, the men's ministry is the backbone of any church. Uh, I think we have an awesome program here. Uh, it's a great opportunity to build relationships with other men uh, and just, uh, you know, have that camaraderie so that when you come back, you have those, uh, those basic tools, you know, to wage war against what Satan's trying to do in our lives. So please come and partake in, uh, and support uh, First Baptist Men's Ministry. Well, that pretty well puts it all right out there, doesn't it? Pretty simple. All right, thanks, guys. We are in a, uh, a sermon series on the books of the Bible. And this morning, we're in one of my favorite books, the book of Ruth. And I'm going to read some passages from the first of that book and then the conclusion at the end of that book and then talk about grace this morning. I think it's something we all need to hear. Ruth 1, 1 through 9 and then 16 through 22, and then skipping to the end of the book, chapter 4, verses 13 through 17. In the days when the judges ruled, remember last week we talked about judges, there was a famine in the land, and a certain man of Bethlehem in Judah went to sojourn in the country of Moab, he and his wife and his two sons. The name of the man was Elimelech, and the name of his wife Naomi, the names of his two sons were Malon and Kilion. They were Ephrathites from Bethlehem in Judah. They went to the country of Moab and remained there, but Elimelech, the husband of Naomi, died, and she was left with her two sons. These took Moabite wives. The names of one was Orpah, the name of the other was Ruth. They lived there about ten years, and both Malon and Kilion died, so that the woman was bereft of her two sons and her husband. Then she started with her daughters-in-law to return from the country of Moab, for she had heard In the country of Moab, the Lord had visited his people and given them food. So she set out from the place where she was with her two daughters-in-law, and they went on the way to return to the land of Judah. 
But Naomi said to her daughters-in-law, her two daughters-in-law, Go return each of you to your mother's house. May the Lord deal kindly with you as you have dealt with the dead and with me. The Lord grant that you may find a home, each of you in the house of her husband. She kissed them and they lifted up their voices and wept. Verse, six, verse 16. This is what you hear in weddings a lot. Ruth said, this is saying to her mother-in-law, Entreat me not to leave you or to return from following you. For where you go, I will go. Where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die and there will I be buried. May the Lord do so to me and more also if even death parts me from you. And when Naomi saw that she was determined to go with her, she said no more. So the two of them went on until they came to Bethlehem. And when they came to Bethlehem, the whole town was stirred because of them. And the women said, is this Naomi? She said to them, do not call me Naomi, call me Mara, for the Lord has dealt very bitterly with me. I went away full and the Lord has brought me back empty. Why call me Naomi when the Lord has afflicted me and the Almighty has brought calamity upon me? So Naomi returned and Ruth the Moabitess, her daughter-in-law with her, who returned from the country of Moab and they came to Bethlehem at the beginning of barley harvest. And now skipping to the end, chapter 4, verse 13. So Boaz took Ruth, and she became his wife. He went into her, the Lord gave her conception, she bore a son. The women said to Naomi, Blessed be the Lord who has not left you this day without next of kin. May his name be renowned in Israel. He shall be to you a restorer of life and a nourisher of your old age. For your daughter-in-law who loves you, who is more to you than seven sons, has borne him. Naomi took the child and laid him in her bosom and became his nurse. And the women of the neighborhood gave him a name, saying, A son has been born to Naomi. They named him Obed. He was the father of Jesse, the father of David. Let's pray. Father, as we come this morning to consider the life of Naomi and her daughter-in-law, Ruth, show us how the grace that you give in the Old Testament is even more powerful in the New Testament. And when tragedy befalls us, sadness, sickness, suffering and death, you'll still work out your plan among us, through us. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, I've been reading some uh, theology recently, and some of it's better than others. One of my favorite sources of theology is from the uh, comic strip Peanuts. And it seems that every time Snoopy, that aspiring author, puts his typewriter on top of his doghouse and begins a novel, he always starts with the words, it was what? It was a dark and stormy night. Well, know-it-all Lucy um, got a hold of Snoopy one day and said, you stupid dog, that's no way to begin a novel. And so Snoopy altered his introduction a little bit, and he said, Once upon a time, it was a dark and stormy night. (laughs) That may be Snoopy's silly way to begin a novel, but for a lot of us, that explains what our lives are like. Dark and stormy, difficult, challenging, problems. A lot of us have known dark and stormy nights. 
haven't we? Sometimes it may be the darkness caused by loneliness. Because even though we live in a bustling society, there's a book called The Lonely Crowd. And a lot of us feel like we we are one person in the midst of a lonely crowd. And there's activity and, and things going on all around us. And yet deep inside there's silence and loneliness. Sometimes it's the darkness of disappointment. Maybe you've experienced a personal failure. Someone you trust lets you down. A a relationship crumbles. Someone you depended on turned their back on you. And there's disappointment. Sometimes with darkness comes a decision. And you really did seek God's will in a matter. and, And you're willing to do whatever He leads you to do. But it seems like when you cry out to him, all you hear is silence and you don't know where to go or or what to say or what to do. And sometimes with that darkness of disappointment or loneliness or decision, there's grief. Grief, someone you you love passed away maybe months, years ago, and, and you feel like you've gotten over it, but but you hear a song or you smell a smell or or you recall a memory and it's like a giant ocean wave of grief unleashes over you and it's like you're back at the very beginning of sadness once more well it's with that that darkness of decision that dark and stormy night with our background that I want us to look at the pages of Ruth today and if you will allow me to imagine with some liberty the story that we just read Darkness crept over the village hours ago, but in the edge of the village, in a, in a small little, little hut, a light flickers and a woman's looking out the window. It's the middle of the night. And there's a tear on her cheek, but she doesn't really notice it because she's looking out the window and she remembers and she grieves. Naomi is remembering what it was like in Bethlehem years ago. She met a farmer named Elimelech, just an ordinary man to most people in the community, but to Naomi, he was strong and he was honest. And he loved her and she loved him. And Things happened in in Bethlehem and and over time, a drought occurred and one year of, of no rain turned into three years and the money dried up just like the crops and, and they tried to get by as best they could and first they did without the without the extras of life and then they began to borrow money and and do without the necessities but the supply of money shriveled up as badly as the crops did you remember what it was like in the well some of you maybe in the depression in the 30s my my parents grew up in the depression and and they tell me stories about how difficult things were and and how tight money was and how they did without so much i think the beginning of this summer we got a glimpse of what Two months of drought might have been like. The ground was parched and cracked. And you can imagine, multiply that times three, and and you're a farmer and you depend on the crops for your food and your income. And that's why Naomi knew what Elimelech was going to say that night when he came in. Because they had heard that there was rain and food and farmland in the neighboring country of Moab. It was east on the other side of the Dead Sea. And they knew they had to move. And so Elimelech and Naomi and their two sons make a journey to the land of Moab. 
And there they, they lived for several years, and things were going along well. But then something happened to Elimelech, some sickness. You know, they had no medical care to speak of in that day. And, and Naomi held his, his strong, calloused hands in hers and listened to every raspy breath until that moment when he breathed no more. The two sons, Malon and Kilion, grew up, and they married girls from there in Moabite, and, and the family carried on as best they could. They had food on the table, and they had a family, the Naomi and her two sons and two daughters-in-law, and, and then things began to go bad there too. Malon and Kilion died. We don't know of what. The names might be a clue. The name Malon means, believe it or not, would you name your child this? The name Malon means sickly. The name Kilion means wasting away. So whatever illness those two boys had, it took their lives just as it had her husband Elimelech. And verse 5, both Malon and Kilion died so that the woman was bereft of her two sons and her husband. That's a pretty short explanation for a woman's grief. A husband and two sons were gone. It doesn't seem to do her grief much justice, does it? And so Naomi is awake and she's looking out the windows and she's thinking about all this and she comes to a decision in the early morning hours and she has heard that it has begun to rain again back in Bethlehem and and she decides that maybe it's time to pick up what little she has left and go back home because at least those are her people there. At least it's, it's her family and her land that her husband owned and they can get back to that. Orpah and Ruth decide at first that they're going to go with her but... But Naomi insists they remain behind in Moab. No, you are from this area. You stay here and you marry Moabite men and and you start new families and you have a life here. And finally, at the last minute, Orpah does decide to remain behind, but Ruth will not take no for an answer. So I want you to see this vision of Naomi and Ruth heading back to Bethlehem. Because it's a wonderful picture of faith at different stages of life. Ruth is a young believer and she's learning what it it means to depend on God. Naomi has been a believer for a long time, but now she's struggling. Her faith that once was strong is, is on wobbly legs and she's having difficulty because She's wondering how faith and and the realities of life fit together. How can I believe when my life has been this difficult? How can I trust God when my husband, my two sons, when everything I worked for my whole life is, is taken away, snuffed out in death? Well, Naomi gets home and the ladies see her. It'd be like calling her forward to give her testimony in church. Naomi, come up here and give us your testimony. And what does Naomi say? Verse 19. She says, do not call me Naomi anymore. You don't know why? Because the word Naomi means pleasant. Call me Mara. Why? Because the name Mara means bitter. And the, because the Lord has not dealt pleasantly with me, he has, he has dealt bitterly with me. How would you like to hear that in a a testimony? Okay, Naomi, you can go sit down. Someone else come back, please. (laughs) 
But Naomi, a lot of folks have, have criticized Naomi here, saying that, you know, when something goes wrong in your life, what happens to her faith? You know, it just falls apart. No, I don't think so. I think Naomi isn't giving up on God. I think she's just being honest in light of, of the difficulties of life. And, and I'll take honest faith over shallow platitudes any day of the week. She's just saying, you know, I believe, but my, my faith isn't what it used to be. It used to be so easy when my husband and two sons were alive and everything was going along well, but over there in the foreign land where we were treated as, as immigrants our whole lives, I buried my husband and my two sons, and now I've come back empty, and, you know, my daughter-in-law was here. But that's about all. And, and we want to take Naomi, and we want to shake her, and we want to say, Naomi, just hang on. If you could just see the end, if you could just know it, in the words of Paul Harvey, the rest of the story. Naomi, guess what's going to happen when you get back to Bethlehem? Your daughter-in-law, Ruth, is going to meet your kinsman, Boaz, who happens to be the son of Rahab, by the way. She's going to meet Boaz. And they're going to have a son, and he's going to be your adopted grandson, and his name is going to be Obed. And he's going to grow up, and he's going to have a son named Jesse. And Jesse's going to have a son named David. And out of the line of David, Naomi, will come Jesus. Naomi, if you could just hang on, if you could just see the end. You don't know how great it's going to be, but Naomi cannot see the end at that point. She has to live in the meantime. And so it is with us. You and I, even more than Naomi, we have the advantage of knowing Jesus. And we know that he's with us and he's going to stay with us. And and we believe that God has the whole world in his hands. But sometimes we feel like our world might be slipping through his fingers a little bit. And we know that Understanding only comes at the end of the road when we can look back as Naomi was able to one time. And it is by faith that we have to live along the way. Now what gives me the right to say that? What what experiences of grief have I ever known? (laughs) Well, you know, to be honest, I've had a pretty easy life. I can count on I guess the the number of times I've been really sad on one hand. And I'm just going to share with you the first one because Susan isn't here today, this morning. Um, It it was my first girlfriend in college. Her name was Melody. Incidentally, that's why we can never sing uh, He Keeps Me Singing in church because the first line of that is, There's within my heart a melody. Susan won't let me sing that. (laughs) But... uh, you know, I was crushed. My first year at seminary, she was still a senior at Samford, and she called me one night to say that she wanted to date some other guys. I said, are you kidding me? You, you don't know how lucky you are. <laughs> so, you know, I took the engagement ring I had bought and put it in my sock drawer, like, like all guys do, and I went home. And, uh, you know, my parents tried to comfort me. 
you know, and they said, Wayne, this might work out for the best. And since that time, I met Susan and, and proof that it did work out for the best. But, but what I needed at that time was not a lot of shallow answers. I just needed someone to wrap their arms around me and, and tell me it was going to be all right. I just needed someone to hurt with me and sit beside me and, and care. You know, as I think about that, I think that tells us what the church is supposed to be. The church is composed of people with, with shoulders big enough to cry on and, and strong enough to lean on. And what people need when they're hurting is, is not a lot of simple answers, but just someone to be there with them, to hurt with them, to let them know that God's working through this in some way and it's all going to turn out for the best. Thank God Naomi had somebody like Ruth to walk along with her, to be there for her when she needed it most. Thank God Naomi had somebody like Ruth, and thank God Ruth had somebody like Naomi. And I think that's, that's instructive for us here because what Ruth saw in Naomi, it wasn't, it wasn't the bright lights of some kind of superstar Christian. It was somebody who was struggling but still believed, who hurt, but still hadn't given up on hope. And what Ruth saw in Naomi was enough for Ruth, believe it or not, to leave behind everything she knew in Moab and follow her mother-in-law back home to Bethlehem. And I think about that, and I think that might be the same thing in our lives. Of course, you and I would rather be spared the tragedies of life, but maybe God uses those tragedies to minister to the hurts and the griefs of others. He promised that, that somehow everything's going to work together for good to those who love him. That means even the most difficult, painful tragedy in your life, God can use. And maybe one way he wants to use it is, is to work through you, to minister to somebody who's going to go through something similar down the road. And, and you can be there beside them and encourage them and guide them and Offer them the strength they need when their own is failing. The good news is also in the New Testament, unlike Naomi in the Old Testament, we have Jesus. We're in a relationship with God through Jesus Christ, and he promised that he would never leave us nor forsake us. And so that means that whatever we're going through, we can count on him to be there with us too, because he sent his only begotten son to suffer and die on the cross for you and for me. And a God who loves us that much to die for us is willing to stand beside us and suffer with us. Because he says there's nothing that you and I have, have gone through that he hasn't gone through. There's nothing that you and I can experience that he hasn't experienced. And so he knows what it's like to hurt. He knows what it's like to suffer. My goodness, he suffered his son's death on the cross. And so he knows what a dark and stormy night is all about. When I was at seminary, the wife of a theology professor died of breast cancer. And they had her funeral in the seminary chapel. Frank Tupper was an unorthodox 
theology professor, to say the least. He was out there on the edge, let me tell you. But in his moment of grief, his faith in God still shone. I'll never forget the image of Frank Tupper following the casket of his wife up the aisle of the chapel, holding the hands of his 10-year-old daughter and 13-year-old son. Those that attended the funeral got a a brief uh, printed note, a thank you. And it was a letter of encouragement to all those who came, and it said this. It said, the journey is long, the way is hard, and the healing is slow. But there's always grace for the journey. Thank God for such grace. Thank God for the kind of grace that gets us through the darkest and stormiest of nights. Thank God for the grace that sustained Naomi when she lost her husband and two sons and had a daughter-in-law named Ruth who came home to marry a kinsman and and be the the great-grandmother of someone who would be King David and produce the line of Jesus. Thank God that in the darkest and stormiest of nights, you and I have the grace needed for living in the meantime. Thanks be to God, the author and finisher of our faith, the provider of our grace, and the strength that we need for living today. Shall we pray? Father, we pause to acknowledge today that some people here are hurting. They are in a dark and stormy night right now. Some watching by television, perhaps, need to know they are not forgotten nor nor forsaken. But your presence and strength aren't only there with them, but they're with them in a special way sufficient for their hour of need. We look at Naomi and we, we gloss over her pain and grief. And yet we still see how you worked in the end to bring her joy and to bring pleasantness back into a life filled with such bitterness. And Father, we don't know what you're going to do with the difficulties we face in life, but we do live by faith knowing that somehow, someday, some way, you're going to use it maybe to speak through us to someone else who's hurting, who's going down a similar path, and we can be there for them, to wrap our arms around them, to cry with them, to hurt with them, and to let them know that they're not alone, that others have gone that way, and and things have still turned out okay. And their faith in you will not be disappointed. Father, thank you for the kind of grace that gives us strength for living. When we don't understand, let our faith persevere. Our hope in you and our trust in you grow stronger. For we leave it all in your hands. 
In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We're going to sing an invitational hymn to give you the opportunity to respond. If you feel God speaking to you, challenging you to profess your faith in Him, rededicating your life, joining this church, whatever decision, we're going to sing a song. And I'll be at the front to receive you. You come while we stand together and sing.